This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. All right. I don't know if you saw my post for the most recent episode. A wonderful accident <laughs> happened <laughs> with all these. So originally, the idea was going to be, I'll get these 10, 15, 20-minute conversations with people, and I'll compile them all together for the uh, 100th episode. Yeah. Well, then a fun problem happened. I did Donovan Morgan Grant the first time. We talked mm. for about an hour. <laughs> and then I talked for the next person, and we talked for about an hour. I went... I have a feeling these are going to run between <laughs> 35 to 40 minutes just because we get into a topic and we'll just kind of talk. Now, if you say, hey, Rob, I've only got 10 or 15, my backup plan is if I've got a, some smaller mm -hmm. um, recording sessions, then I'll double up. So I've invited about nine people. It's like you invite, you know, for, hey, yeah. my kid's graduating high school and you know you're not going to get everybody. Well, everybody said, yeah, sure, I'd <laughs> like to be part of it. So I've got seven episodes till 100, uh -huh. and then we're going to come up with a new 100th episode. Oh, cool. But the uh, idea is, since it's called Everyone Loves the Drake, it's like we're really leaning into, like, well, why does Tom Paneris love mm -hmm. Tim Drake? And even though my questions are kind of the same, like, I switch some up here or there, but yeah. it's really cool to ask a yes or no question and get seven completely different answers, which, which is the fun thing about this. So uh, this can go as long or as short. There's only seven questions. And I think in the initial email I was sending people, I think I had put up five. And in some cases I had just asked, I can't remember which way that I asked you. Some people wanted to see the questions at the time, but it's not like I'm asking you to like, how many buckles are on Tim Drake's <laughs> costume? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have an email you sent with about five different things okay. in it. looks like you're avoiding. So I did a, a similar episode. God, this was like five years ago on pop culture affidavit with the television show, my so-called life. And I had like about four or five people on it. And I made oh, the yeah. mistake of insisting that I keep them in the same episode, and I think that episode's like four hours long. It, <laughs> and just like in hindsight, I'm like, I really should have broken that up into maybe like two episodes or something like that. But yeah, yeah. so so good on you for actually like having the foresight <laughs> to do that instead of like people like me who are like, you know, yeah, I'll just throw it onto one thing. I'm like, I don't know how many people actually listen to that episode, but yeah. So I'm trying to figure out all the episodes numbers, so I'm not going to go into the normal intro. I'll just record that okay. uh, separately, and we'll just go in as if I'm either going to introduce you ahead of time or I'll cut this introduction out. So like I said, it's about seven-ish questions, and then however long we go is however long we go, or unless you're like, hey, i got to be done by. And I don't, I don't expect this to go till like noon. I, you know, yeah, no, I'm not on a specific... Um time frame here or anything i guess noon would be probably my, the latest i could go but even yeah. then i've got yeah and i i don't imagine us going much past uh, 11 tom i think i just lost you
Hmm. I don't know if you can hear me or not, but we may have to reload the page or at a backup, we may have to go into, um, maybe you're texting me right now. Okay. You can hear me. So I may retry and load the session again. Yeah. The muting doesn't seem to work. It's almost like it's not picking you up. So what I'm going to try to do is I will resend you an email. And if that doesn't happen to take, then we may have to go over to uh, what you call it. Um, I haven't used it in so long. The way we normally <laughs> record Skype, that's what it is. So we may have to go uh, the Skype route. So let me resend this one more time. It'll be in a new uh, header and we'll, we'll go from there. So I'll just clo- close your window out and we'll, uh, we'll go. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Screw the Drake. I love the Drake. everyone and welcome to Robin Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will follow his journey in the pages of the 90s 2000 ongoing Robin series and other notable comics of that era. We will also take a look at other Tim Drake appearances in DC Comics new and old to find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. <laughs> I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and welcome to episode 98. This show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman, whom, of course, is celebrating 80 years this year, and the piece de resistance for our show, Tim Drake Robin, is celebrating the big 3-0 this year. Uh, you can find us on the BatmanUniverse.net. You can also find us on Batman on Films Podcast Network, BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. So between the Batman Universe and Batman on Film, you can find our show and a whole plethora. Would you say I have a plethora? Three amigos? No, nothing. Pop culture reference? It'll fit into the show. Between the two networks, you could find a whole plethora of podcasts if you choose to do so. And we hope that you do. Uh, you can get a hold of us on all the social media outlets. We are on Facebook.com slash Everyone Loves the Drake. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. We are on Instagram. And I'm doing a lot better since the last one of posting things uh, like maybe the new colors for Tim Drake's new costume. Okay, I'm going to save that for episode 100. <laughs> um, you can see us on uh, Instagram, and we are also on YouTube, and we haven't been using YouTube as much. We need to be better about that, but there is some content over there. And you can email into the show at robineltdpodcast at yahoo.com. And if you are listening to the show, also head over to iTunes and give a nice little five-star review of the show and help us celebrate uh, leading up to episode 100. And then you can email into the show at robineltdpodcast at yahoo.com and uh, send us some emails for episode 100, and we will read those on air, and we will all celebrate uh, 100 episodes of the show about the end of September. So, 
This is episode 98, and my special guest, this is also another one of those shows that I was recording where I wasn't sure if it was going to be part of a bigger episode or what the number episode was going to be once I decided, okay, this is going to be episode you know, 98. I didn't know that this was going to be episode 98 until I started piecing all of the guests in line of like, okay, who's first, second, third, fourth, etc. So... This is serving as that number and intro for the show. So, like I said, this is 98, and our guest on this show is Mr. Tom Paneris from a show that I really liked that's no longer producing episodes because it was more of a maxi series. It was called Taking Flight. I think the feed still might be available on the BatmanUniverse.net. I'll have to go back through and look and maybe put in the show notes to see if it is. He might have it archived on his website, popcultureaffidavit.com. He has some great content over there. I highly recommend you check out Tom's podcast. He does one with Stella called Required Reading. And uh, it's a really cool guy. And we had him on this show about four years ago on episode 25 of the show. And we were doing a Robin Cry of the Huntress. Now, a little funny thing that you can't plan something like this. It's almost funny. It's like, oh, funny, haha, that's sad. But funny, haha, that's, that's hilarious, kind of, that it happened twice. It's a podcaster's worst nightmare. So about four years ago, I invited Tom on the show, and uh, Tom uh, Paneris and Michael Bailey were two podcasters that I was listening to that really inspired me to want to do this show like almost saying it's not like you know bragging well if they can do it i can do it i could tell they were having so much fun with the material they were talking about it was just infectious of going i think i can do this i think i can do this i'm i'm hearing how how they're doing and approaching subjects so i think i was trying to mimic the two of them for a while until i got my feet wet and figured out how i wanted to do this show but they were two big inspirations for me for doing this show and I had the pleasure of having Tom on the podcast. And the funny thing was that for whatever silly reason, and this probably goes to why we no longer use this program, the Skype recorder did not record the conversation with Tom. Luckily, all of us podcasters are are usually recording backup files just in case something silly happens. So here I am having this really cool three-hour discussion with Tom, and we'd covered all of the Robin 3 Cry the Huntress books, and I broke them up over the course of two episodes. And then I had to sheepishly go back to Tom like two days later and email him and say, Hey, Tom, it's Rob. The show did not record on my end. Did you happen to chance record it on your end? Because I didn't ask him at the time. And then I also said in the email, if it didn't, then we might have to do a whole nother session. Thank the podcasting gods that Tom did record it. He sent me the file and, you know, here we are four years later doing this. And we had a little chuckle about that during the intro of the show. And wouldn't you know it, 
We're using Cast, this new program we've been using for a while, and it's a web-based program. So you really, really don't have to use the Skype call thing anymore. The web browser on both ends is recording the show, and you've probably noticed over the last couple years, there's a considerable difference in the quality and the audio of the show. A, I've got a new mic, but Cast does a really good job of getting a nice, clean sound without having the problem weird lag times or the pixelating of the voices that you would hear in some of the Skype calls that I meticulously try and piece all those little breaks back together. Now, sometimes when we record, we will hear those, but since it's recording through the web browser, we get a nice clean audio and we've had very, very little problems with that dramatic pause. So it ended up dropping Tom and I's quote unquote call, if you will, twice using cast. The only problem that we have with this sometimes if somebody's using a laptop and it's not hardwired in or if you're not using a a standard pc if you're just running off wi-fi if the wi-fi band is not strong enough it'll cause the call to drop and you just have to restart over so it ended up dropping the call like after the first four minutes which was the cold opening of the show and then we got about 11 minutes in and i thought all right good everything's sounding great it was just a fluke And then it dropped again. So we decided at the end of the second drop that we are going to have to resort back to Skype because that is probably going to be the most reliable. So there is a significant sound in the audio quality that will drop a little bit. So at the time I'm recording this, I'm trying to beef up the audio the best I can. Not that it's not horrible or unlistenable, but it sounds like a very much older episode than what it is. And I don't even know if my mic was recording properly or just my normal PC mic. I sound a little hollow and little, a little thin. So guess what happened while using Skype? It dropped the call. So three times during our 55 minute interview between the two of us, it dropped the call three times, which kind of got us laughing a little bit. So I apologize. I hopefully I've got all the transitions working right. I may just do the typical bullet shield where you hear Tim Drake spin his bullet shield from the Arkham games. And then we go into uh, the next audio sample. Hopefully I can blend them a little bit. So I want to thank Tom for being a great sport in the, the calls bouncing back and forth. And we thought, okay, well, well twice was on his end. Now twice was on my end almost. So it gets to be uh, gets to be a little comical, but the the cool thing was about our interview. I think it it turned out really well. Tom is such a great and easy person to talk to, so I didn't want to try and re-replicate like hey let's try and do this one more time what he had to say was so good that i'm just going to preserve it here in the audio quality that it is so just know that going in at a certain point it's going to sound a little less than what you're currently hearing right now but hopefully i get it boosted up enough that it's not too noticeable so I guess that's just the way the things go. Like uh, we say all the time, peek behind the Drake curtain here. Uh, We had some technical issues, but we powered on because we're celebrating Tim Drake's 30th anniversary. So enough rambling out of this, out of the way, since this is the proper intro for the show lately, I've been trying to find music that I know uh, my hosts, my co-hosts are a fan of, or something that represents them or their podcast channels. So I've got a song in the back of my mind. Let's see if I can find it. And this will be how I introduce Tom Paneris and we'll find out why he loves the Drake. And like I always try to remember to say, welcome to the show. 
to our next installment of why everyone loves the Drake, and I couldn't think of a better person to have on the show. He last appeared way back, and I want to say I'm going to get my episode numbers wrong, so there'll probably be an edit here somewhere, but it was during the Cry of the Huntress series that we were talking about, and we had our recording on Skype session, which features into what just happened to us here, and we got off. The episode went really well, and then I had to email Tom back frantically and say, hey, uh, Skype didn't record. Did you record on your end? So luckily, we had a, almost a two-hour recording session that he so graciously sent the episode back to me. So that was a little like, hey, I invited you on the show. And by the way, can you do my homework for me? <laughs> so the laughter you're getting ready to hear is uh, a good friend of the show and uh, love to have him back on. It is Tom Panneries. How are you doing to this afternoon, sir? I'm morning, good. Actually. Yeah, this morning. How are you doing? I'm good. Doing well. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk about uh, Tim Drake with. And a show that I, I still absolutely loved was uh, Taking Flight. I thought that was such a a very cool show of your into not only what made you a Robin fan, what, what made you a Titans fan, what made you a Dick Grayson fan. And that was one of the first times I think I came into the Batman universe a little bit later than what you did or just the reading Batman year three was the first time I'd ever seen Dick Grayson in Mm -hmm. the Nightwing costume. So to know that he didn't start out in a Batman book, that it was in Titan. So you're, I mean, I found out later on, but it was nice to go back and listen to those and go, wow, what a, you know, you were on the ground floor for that coming in. I think you and I are roughly the the same age and Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I missed that. I think my comic book shop just had, it was I'm using it in air quotes. It was actually a romance novel, you know, place that where my uh, grandmother would would take her. It was almost like a GameStop. Hey, you bought a new game and they're going to give you X number. So you could, she would read her romance novels and then take those into the store and get a credit and get a used or new off the shelf. And in the very back was a comic wall. So I loved going to pick up comics with her and they only had a small selection so they weren't getting stuff like teen titans it was the the big marquees you know flash batman wonder woman green Lantern. yeah so so what we like to do here is go through uh, some questions and find out why you love the drake and since i buried the lead in saying <laughs> where you know i first came into contact with uh, tim drake in year three i would imagine yours is probably the same so Without sounding too uh, cheesy, what was your first introduction to the Tim Drake character? It was pretty close to that. I now the first, the first comic book that I ever actually bought with Tim Drake in it would have been Detective Number Six Eighteen. Because by the time I actually decided, okay, I'm going to start reading Batman on the regular, Year Three, it was about a year after that. Mm-hmm. So, but. A friend of mine had started collecting comics and loaned me a Lonely Place of Dying. And this is before I started reading. So, and I, I vividly remember for the first time seeing the cover to Batman. Uh, is it four forty two? The uh, with Tim in the Robin costume with the bat signal in the background. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, 
And so he, he loaned me all, all five parts and I read that. And then, um, so that would have, that was actually my first uh, introduction to, to Tim Drake uh, as a character. And I had a copy of Batman 438 that I had, uh, you know, speaking of going to random newsstands, in 1990, my parents, um, we went to, uh, stayed for a week on, on Fire Island at Ocean Beach, Fire Island. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, I remember uh, half the week it was like raining. And we went to uh, whatever stationary store, pharmacy type of store is on fi- that part of Fire Island just to just because we were trying to like figure out something to do rather than sit around and watch TV. And they had a comic rack. And uh, th- this was the, – the book had been out for a year, but like 439 was standing <laughs> sitting on the stand there. I was like – and it was like a dollar or 75 cents or something. So my parents were like, sure. And that's the one with the great cover of – Batman and Robin coming like at you with like almost like the teenage Robin coming at you. Oh yeah, um, yeah. and at, at, at and like you know there's a uh, so so I, I went back and once I started once I decided I'm going to be I'm, I'm going to be a collector again because I had collected a couple of years earlier but I was reading GI Joe and the Transformers and then it just kind of know <laughs> yeah and and by the time I went back to school that fall so it was like that summer of '87 and by the time I went back to school that fall I was just kind of like other things took over and you know. You know the ADHD kicked in, and you're just like, all right, something else, something right. else came along, like you know, baseball or whatever, or football or something. And so I, I was like, I went back to my my comic shop, and um, I think I got the other, the first two parts of year three, and then eventually got part four either through him through a want list because he went out to like San Diego or something or went to like a show bought a bunch of comics and he took everybody's want list with them so he could pick them up or I ordered it from Mile High but either way I had the whole thing and it wasn't until then I went and reread A Lonely Place of Dying that I put two and two together and realized the little kid in the 436 was Tim right. Drake because it was I was kind of like you know daft in that way but reading that and then like all of a sudden seeing Batman's not Detective 618 like on the stand like about a month after I read my friend's the, the things my, my friend loaned me I was like oh this is going to be an important story so I picked up <laughs> that four-parter I remember being slightly disappointed that he wasn't Robin at the end of it but then I, but then I went on to read Batman 455 through uh, 457 and you know so that kind of completed the cycle and it was really interesting because I didn't I ended up I think Dark Knight Dark City was running in Batman at the time and I picked up that as almost like an afterthought because I had some extra money and then the the creative teams flipped because while that storyline was running in Batman in Detective was that really really weird storyline where that with the serial killer and the guy who had like this demonic Batman that Dick Sprang was drawing. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was really odd. And then, and then Wolfman and Aparo stayed on tech and Grant and Brayfogle went on Batman for a while. Funny thing was, is like, I didn't actually have a copy of 657 for the longest time. Wow. Or 457. Sorry. 457 for the longest time. I had missed it maybe because I didn't have a pull list back then. I didn't so, know what a poll list was. Yeah, I didn't know what a po- <laughs> I didn't I didn't find out what a poll list was until my until they announced and I've told Michael Bailey this story. They announced the death of Superman in Newsday. Because I grew up on Long Island, New York, and Newsday was the paper that broke the death of Superman story. Oh wow. Um, as, as, as Mike will if you go back through from crisis to crisis, Mike does the whole thing with Jeff, but but you know, he's he's right in that it's not like 
this was this pre-planned it was a pre-planned thing but it was like it was not like this was that was announced a huge fanfare dc wasn't ready for the publicity not as, as opposed to like nowadays where they totally would be and newsday which is my local paper broke the announcement so my friend and i rode down to the comic store and you know there wasn't on the stands yet because it wasn't out but he had this thing on the he had this thing tacked up saying if you're looking for the death of superman it'll be out this these dates you can pre-order it here or you can put it on your like we're taking um you don't have to pay for it you just put your name down so it was that was my first pull list was that entire death and and then eventually reign of the superman thing and then eventually he told me hey you know if you want you know, join our club. I think it was like $10 a year or something. You get a 10, whatever. And here's your pull list. And so that, but that wasn't until at least a year later or so, but I did have a subscription to detective and Batman. Yeah, and I, for about a, two years, I got, I used to get the comics in the mail and then I would go to my LCS for like Titans. I thought about doing the uh, mail thing, seeing those ads and, my mom, I mean, God bless her, she would say, do you really want your comics coming in the mail? Because she was always holding up a letter. I don't know about your post office, but we would get mail that's all crammed in. She's like, look at your dad's Sports Illustrated. They're always such a wreck. And I was like, okay. She's like, so if you want to go in to that little comic shop, I'll, I'll take you in. So that's where I got mine. But I think it was right around the death of Superman where going in and they're saying, hey, do you want to be on our hold. I think he was calling it a hold list. And I was like, sure. What do you, what does that mean? It's like, well, we'll, we'll hold the books for it. And I was like, I don't have the money right now. And trying to explain that to, you know, a teenager, I was like, uh, I've only got four bucks, you know, I don't have enough right now. So trying to figure that whole thing out, I thought was a little nuts at my young age. So, now that we're talking about some of the books that you uh, were listening to, or listening to uh, reading, uh, what are some of your favorite uh, Tim Drake stories that he was either the star in or was a part of that you were like, wow, that was a really good issue that had Tim and there was you know some meaningful things in it. I'm trying to think, there are so there are honestly so many, and uh, right. I really, I, I I personally do love. I personally do love the four-parter from six, uh, Detective Six Eighteen to Six Twenty One because, and then and then that subsequent three-parter in Batman because of the way it, of the way they kind of feature him doing doing things, and then you have the stuff that was uh, that was he was in before his ongoing started. There's three I can think of off the top of my head, which and none of which are actually in the Robin book or any of the Robin books, which is which is odd because I did love the Chuck Dixon Robin when I was reading it. I'll go in chronological order. The first one is uh, New Titans number sixty-five. I love that one. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's such a good one. Yeah, I mean it's it's weird that because it's it's this it's technically the conclusion of a four-parter with the Titans teaming up with Deathstroke who hadn't appeared in the Titans since like tales of the teen Titans 55 or something. Like he, he honestly had not appeared in, in, in any of the Titans comics since like 1985 or six or so. And oh. uh, that was 1990 or 1990. Yeah. It was like 89, 90. And um, yeah, which is, which is amazing. Like, you know, you would never have heard of that uh, today. No. Um, yeah. So, and that's, the, they're fighting like this, 
thing called Scourge and these monsters and stuff. And it's not a bad story, especially considering like, you know, some of the really, really lackluster stories that had been happening over the last like year and a half of Titans. But like Dick was still kind of technically on leave and you have this. So you have the kind of like the, the, the end of this, them fighting and they kind of bring Dick and Tim into that. But then you have uh, this great, that great story where he's teaching him how to become a detective. And there's that great scene where they just sit and watch a carousel for a few hours. (laughs) And Dick like points out all of the things that he saw. And Tim's like, Oh my God, like, you know, it's almost like how overwhelming it is when you're first trying to learn something and, and all the things you have to remember. And then uh, further along than that is Detective 650, which has this really misleading cover because Batman's not actually in the book at all. It's like Batman and Robin tied up in chains with like, you know, dragons or something. Yeah. It's almost, yeah, <laughs> the cover itself is almost evocative of like a 50s Batman cover. Yeah. It's a Tim and Alfred story where you have this like, and Harold's in it, but you have this like Geraldo Rivera guy who's going to open. It's like basically, and this is this is something I love because because Dixon is drawing upon like you know two of Geraldo Rivera's most infamous things up until that point because he's wearing because the guy is supposed to be him because he's wearing a bandage across his nose and if if you're if you're a, somebody our age even if you didn't watch it you vividly remember the time that like he had I think it was like Farrakhan or. Yeah. or or the Black Panthers or somebody and like the KKK or neo-Nazis on his show at the same time. And oh, gee, that's a combination for a peaceful conversation. And, and basically a, a brawl broke out and somebody threw a chair, chair. and hit him in the face. And he was wearing this stupid bandage. So they have him wearing that. And he's essentially the other thing he's really, really infamous for, at least in the 80s, was the whole live opening of Al Capone's vault. Oh, vault. I watched that like, oh, where are we going to go? Like. They're shoveling dirt and glass. I'm like, that's it? Yeah. And <laughs> and in the story, I remember that Tim so he's basically doing that, this 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 character, and Tim figures out as he's he's watching this on TV that the dead mobster or the mobster that, that whose vault he's opening has rigged the thing to blow up. So he basically saves the guy at the last minute, but it's a really cool, like Tim and, and, and Alfred. And I always loved the <laughs> post crisis Dick Grayson and Alfred relationship. And I always loved the Tim Drake and Alfred relationship because it's like really strong. And then the, the third one I would bring up is, is um, Nightwing 25. The two of them going blind on the subway through, you know, through Gotham and everything. Cause it's just a great, it's almost like a great bookend to that new Titan 65. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, show. totally. And I just love, I've always loved that issue. Yeah. Those three right there were, I was referred to, uh, uh the one Batman issue is the dragon issue. Like what well, I would have yeah. to look at the cover and go, okay, I don't think this has anything to do with the story. Once I open it up, I'm like, Oh Yeah. And, and it's 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 a shame too because I, I don't necessarily like the cover of that comic book. No, but the the art inside is Graham Nolan, and Dixon and Nolan are in my top five Batman team, the creative teams on Batman. And so it's just like, oh, once you start reading, I'm like, oh, this is really really good. So the cover actually kind of let lets the book down in a way. Yeah, and I always wonder like why why choose that cover? Because I remember correctly, that's not even a Nolan cover, is it? No, I don't remember who did the cover, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, speaking of uh, creators, if I say these four names, Lyle, Grummet, Raringo, and Johnson, 
who is the one that you gravitate or if there's another one I haven't mentioned mm-hmm. as far as you know I, I've got a poster of Tom Lyle Robin he's holding he's in a sewer holding his bow staff up on either side it looks like it might be from Cry of the Huntress potentially I've never been able to get information behind it maybe just like a, a character one shot but who is the the Tim Drake artist I know this is like trying to pick your favorite child <laughs> <laughs> Which one brings you more joy? Which one makes you go, I like you second? <laughs> oh, um, dang, that's hard. Uh, and I didn't want to add the caveat of this is who's going to draw this character forever. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no. I was going to say it might. It, oh, yeah, I'm trying to think of, of the stories because, like, I, I think I've read and reread the Tom Lyle stories more than any other ones. Um, and for a while, like he was the artist for me, but oh. I, I, it probably him only because that was like my, my first um, exposure to him with like Ringo probably second, and then and and Stas Johnson a very very third, and and no offense to Tom Grummet, but like I just because um, I really liked his work, but like you know I think Ringo and Johnson were on the book I think longer, yeah. And and I and uh and I think Stas Johnson doesn't get the credit he deserves because he had to I believe he had to follow Mike Waringo. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, yeah I think I put Tom, Tom Lyle at the top of that list just because of when I first start. He was with the exception of Norm Brayfogle, like he was the one I first started really getting deep into into the character with. Yeah, Brayfogle is usually my go-to. I was going to include him on here. Yeah. But. Then going from Bray Fogel right into Lyle, like you said, that was the first. I, I got to be there for you know the Robin number one mini series and get that Neil Adams poster inside and just you know Lyle was through all three of those mm-hmm. those books and it's something like you said of all the books that I continually go back and read aside from A Lonely Place is usually those those first three. Um, yeah. Just just because of the connection with the art and the storytelling. Not again having a Robin podcast and saying that I don't like the others, yeah, all right. but that's like that very first taste of something where you go, I felt like I could say, yeah, this is mine. This is, this is my Robin. This is my thing is up before then it was like, Oh, I've got the superpowers action figures. <laughs> and I, you know, I've, I like the Robin character, but once I started buying the comics monthly, this was, this was my guy and my artist. So yeah. speaking of costumes, what do you think of the new costume for Tim when you first saw it? And does Tim successfully escape the 90s? Do you look at that classic costume and go, oh, that's so 90s? Or is there something else that you don't – it's like – it's not Guy Gardner Warrior where you go, that is, <laughs> that is totally 1990 right there. And even yeah. Kyle Rayner to uh, a degree. I – absolutely loved the costume when I first saw it. I never had very much against the classic Pixie Boots Robin costume, mainly because it was what I grew up with, either through Scooby-Doo or the Super Friends or the reruns of the 66 Batman show or the Superpowers action figure, or again, reading, reading back issues of the Wolfman Perez Titans or like the greatest Batman stories ever told trade, which I read and reread and reread. Um, so, you know, seeing things like that. So, but I was very much of the mentality that like, if they're going to bring Robin back, they need a new costume because it just, it, it needs a, the look did seem outdated to me. Like, you know, it was, I didn't think it was going to work in 1990 as opposed to say, um, when it worked in 1940, 
and stuff. And um, no, I, I liked it because I had liked the, the look that I had really liked was one of my first ever Batman comics was the Brave and the Bold number 182, which was he was teaming up with the Earth 2 Robin, who was like oh, yeah. growed up, you know, Earth Earth 2 Robin. Batman was already dead. And um, and that was a, like a variation of the yellow and blue costume where the like he was wearing like yellow pants with the with the with the red tunic and everything mm-hmm. um, and i always liked that look so it was like you know if you gave robin pants like that but then um the, the way that uh, neil adams designed it with the green and the um but but keeping that red with the with the slightly stylized r the black cape with the yellow underneath i it was like you know it was really really cool to me and uh, and i really like seeing in fact i took the being a 13 year old in 1990 who uh you know didn't know anything from you know how you actually keep comics valuable. Um, I took the poster out of Robin Number One and, and hung it on the wall of my bedroom because it was yeah. just that cool. So, um, and I had no idea who Neil Adams was at that time. By the way, <laughs> I, was I like this is a really really <laughs> cool Robin look. It was just it was and 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 I think he did escape the '90s by virtue of the fact that he had a really he went from being written by Marv Wolfman to Chuck Dixon, who had a both of them like Wolfman created the character under the two, you know, under the guise of Danny O'Neill, of course. And then Dixon Dixon has this way, or at least I haven't read a lot of his more recent stuff. But back then he had this way of being able to write three or four different characters and give them each their own voice while still having a really good eye and ear and stuff for action. So Dixon's Punisher mm-hmm. or his work on the Nom, which I've covered over on my one, um, one of my podcasts, and then his Batman, his Robin. Like there were certain Dixon elements in there, like the pacing, the action and things like that. But they also all felt like those particular characters mm-hmm. as opposed to a Spider-Man writer coming over and writing Tim. And it just looks like a Spider-Man story starring Tim Drake. Right. I mean, I liked on our show, we'll say things like, you know, there's, this was like DC's equivalent to Peter Parker, where you've got the super young teen superhero that's trying to escape Aunt May or his dad, but it didn't feel like, Oh, this is just, Peter Parker dressing up like Tim Drake Robin, that there there was a, a difference in the two characters that I'd never felt at any point that Dixon was like, oh, you know, well, I'll just do what they do over in the Spider-Man book. Like mm-hmm. you said, there's a different voice. You know, when he would get to write Connor Kent in the World's Finest Three, I didn't feel like, oh, you could just flip-flop the dialogue between the two boys, and it's exactly yeah. the same. You you got the tone for Connor, you got the tone for Tim and then, then poison Ivy and in all those characters that would uh, go in. And I always dug Dixon's Joker. I wished he got a chance to mm-hmm. write him a little bit more. I thought his, his voice for the Joker. I, I never felt like, you know, a lot of people go, Oh, I hear Mark Hamill. When I read the Joker, I hear Kevin Conroy. I never quite got the voice like a, a stage actor's voice or a, a TV actor, whoever it might be. I always thought that his Joker had a, a different voice that I couldn't close my eyes and go, Oh, that's clearly Mark Hamill. I got something yeah. more sinister with his Joker, but at the same time, something extremely funny uh, at the other hand. So 
it's almost like he was taking cues from the Joker that Steve Englehart wrote back mm. in the very late seventies and like the, the laughing fish and, um, the, the that, that two parter that's in the strange apparitions trade with Marshall oh. Rogers on the art, you know, yeah, that yeah, yeah. he was, there was a sinisterness to him, but at the same time, he was still big on the big hilarious joke. Uh, sign of the Joker was the other one. And, and it's because it's the two parter, but like, you know, he's still on the, you know, he's a homicidal maniac, but he's still kind of doing the whole, you know, gadgety thing and things like that. Cause yeah, cause like, I think the, the, the last person prior to that, that I remember really writing him aside from Starlin and, um, Death in the Family was like, uh, Mike W. Barr mm-hmm. in his early detective one run, which I enjoyed, but that was, that still was very like, that was almost a throwback to the fifties just mm-hmm. with a little bit of a more psychotic edge to it. So I think, I think Dixon was taking his cues from like that Engelhart run, which is one of my personal favorite runs in the book. I thought that maybe some of Tim's villains didn't necessarily escape the nineties. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that, um, God, that what they did to killer moth. Um, yeah, there was, and one of the, um, what was the name of the stupid thing? Steel jacket or something. It was the, the end of prodigal, right? <laughs> yeah. The Which, end of Pro- it's the, uh, yeah. Steel jacket that Tim's just tethered to. And that as actually Staz Johnson's first, uh, work. And what's interesting is that it's, that Staz Johnson's art gets so much better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the art in that book is, with the exception of the Grummet art, which is, um, or Jimenez, or whoever does the art on the Batman and Dick Grayson argument page, it might have been Jimenez. Yeah. Um, and Johnson is, has said he was great. He was trying, there was rough layouts and he was coming in at the last minute trying to tidy up as much as he could. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. But, Cause like, it's almost, I was always, I was always a little let down by the end of prodigal because it just like, it seemed anticlimactic in some ways. And then it mm-hmm. seemed, it seemed like the Tim action parts were just kind of tacked on. Like, did we really, really need it right. that much? Like, I don't know, because other writers have done the Batman Nightwing argument with some action in the issue in a way that's better, um, better laid out as opposed to kind of like parallel the way it was, um, even though it was an entertaining issue, I think of like Batman four sixteen mm-hmm. and think it's something like that. But you know, that's again, that's nitpicking in a, a story that's like really, really good. But yeah, but that steel jacket thing was just like, <laughs> that was, that was right out of like an image book. I mean, it was just, yeah, totally. <laughs> And on the show, the thing that we kept laughing at is, you know, Steel Jacket drags Robin out uh, the window and Bulk and the guys are just firing, you know, bullets at like, let's try not to hit the kid, but take that guy down. We're like, you shoot Steel Jacket, Robin's going to the pavement to the ground. Like, we're not going to shoot the hero, but we are going to shoot the guy that's flying our hero out the window. And I'm not, I'm not a police officer and I'm not a ballistics or a marksmanship expert, but my theory is that if you have a target that's moving that fast, I don't care how good you are of a shot. You're going to have a few stray bullets that <laughs> right. hit kid. Yeah. You may not have hit the, uh, Let's say you don't even hit the kid, but a couple of those bolts are going over towards the Macy's Thanksgiving Day yeah. Parade crowd down on the ground. Oops. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I think I've asked you this question before, but if somebody hasn't uh, heard your answer, I'll put you on the spot again. Ariana or Stephanie? 
Oh. Or is there somebody else that's better suited for Tim, like Cassie Sandsmark? If you got to give, okay, Tim, you need to settle down. You need to pick one of these two girls or three. Who who does Tim get to have the Bruce Wayne Selena marriage at the end of the day? And Thomas thinking, Rob, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I I'd have to say it's um it's probably Steph. I really liked his relationship with Ariana, but once they introduced Stephanie, it kind of, you knew it was not going to last. And Ariana's kind of his first girlfriend that we see him with, especially his first girlfriend is Robin. So, and then, and what's interesting um, is that, is that she's dating Tim Drake and, you know, he has to keep the fact that she's, that he's Robin from her. But I think with, with Steph, it was the exact opposite that she was dating Robin and she had no idea he was Tim. In fact, I think it was Batman who told her. Yeah. If I'm trying to remember it correctly, it's been years since I read it. And I like the fact that they introduced Stephanie, <laughs> um, in that, in a detective comics three parter that I think Tom Lyle drew. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Matt Wagner did the covers and they were gorgeous. Oh, um, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was Tim and Steph, and, uh, and you know, he realized who she was, and they did that typical 90s Bat Family thing of, you know, hey, girl, go go back to where you came from. Don't, <laughs> you know, this is this is this is man's work, you know, which is like, dude, like, you know, and he was doing that with Helena Bertinelli, like, for God knows how long. Right. But, yeah, I think I think just the, the fact that, like, the relationship between Tim and Stephanie kind of, like, develops this organic organically over time i can't attest to whether or not it like what happened after that sort of reveal of his identity because it was soon after that that i actually dropped the book um for a number of reasons i think i was just kind of starting to check out on things and then you know money being what it was but yeah i think because i i never i never got the sense that cassie he and cassie really belonged together right i uh with the Young Justice cartoon that's going on, that's actually coming back in July. Uh-huh. Uh, that was a romance that they played into that TV show, just with the the Young Justice aspect. Although they've added spoiler to the show now, but at the end of season one, with everything that goes down, if you haven't seen it, don't want to spoil anything. Cassie and Tim end up after a tragedy happens to one of the other. And mm. I never really looked at it that way. And something I like to poke at Stella a little bit <clears throat> is, sorry, Stella, is the Batman Arkham universe flipped things on its head a little bit as far as the relationships that Tim Drake actually marries Barbara Gordon huh. at one point. Or not at one point, but they, you know, but they don't really establish a relationship for Dick and Babs. If you look really close mm-hmm. on the artwork for Barbara, she's wearing a flying Grayson's necklace, but the timeline's a little skewed where Jason dies. Tim almost immediately comes in the picture and then Barbara is shot and stops being Batgirl. Cause in the game, Tim and or Robin and Batgirl, Tim Drake are active both at the same time. She becomes, paralyzed becomes oracle and tim is right there helping her through the process so at the end of the video game uh it ends on uh, commissioner gordon going to his daughter's wedding and you find out it's tim drake that is oh, okay. marrying barbara gordon which there's some people are like they're not supposed to end up together i'm like this is the video game it's out of continuity and it was kind of i had never even thought to pair 
those <laughs> th- those two together. But uh, that was a little tangent for you, Stella, if you're listening. So, well, that uh, just opens the door for for Nightwing to end up with Starfire. Yeah, so. see there, there you go. I, I didn't want to say it. I figured you probably might might slip that <laughs> in there. So, <laughs> in the last five years or so, starting with the new Fifty Two, it seems that um, Tim Drake has taken more of a backseat to other Bat family members, and in some cases, in media and comic events, he's almost left out completely. Do you think that's just because? Damien has been thrust so far forward, or is the Bat family... My argument is people say, oh, the Bat family's too imploded. But I'm like, don't create Duke Thomas. Don't create Red Bird. Don't create or Blue, Blue Bird and all these other characters. I think the the 90s just seemed to be this great Bat family of, you know... And Jason wasn't even around. Do you think that there there's just too many and it's too hard to keep somebody like Tim in? No, and I have to, I mean, I'm going to, this is, I don't know if you want to call it conjecture or what on my part, but I will fully admit, I haven't read a Batman comic in a long, I think I read Zero Year and the occasional issue that, you know, if it looked interesting, but I really haven't read a Batman comic in a while, and um, I haven't read anything with Tim in it since New Titan, since Teen Titans number 100, because I looked at the solicits for the new 52. I saw the teen Titans book. I saw the creative team and I went, wait, (laughs) image artists from the nineties and the guy who I, who made me stop reading the X-Men. No. And I never actually read any, I have not read a, I never read the Titans throughout the entire new 52. I read the first arc of Titans post with rebirth starting okay. with rebirth and going for maybe the first six or seven months thought it was good but it was just kind of like um i can't remember if i said this somewhere it was like meeting an old girlfriend for dinner and having a good time but but leaving and kind of going your separate ways because you you don't have the animosity My general opinion is, I mean, granted, I don't think they should have ever brought Jason back as good as Under the Red Hood is as a story. Mm-hmm. I was just like, why did you feel the need to do this? And then, um, I don't know, like, I see, I don't like Damien. And even though I read a couple of stories that I that I enjoyed, I just didn't like, still didn't like the character. And um, I, I think if if they had wanted to do something if they had wanted Tim to have a bigger role, they would. And I just think that for some reason, whoever is there is whoever's in charge of this, whether it be Dio or Johns or whomever is just kind of like, I don't know. They just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, Oh, they don't have respect for the character. Cause that sounds like so presumptuous, but it's just, there's, there's something about it all where they're, they just don't really, they think like an entire portion of DC comics in when like in that era of the late eighties to the, to like the early two thousands was like some sort of mistake they're trying to correct or had mistakes they're trying to correct. Yeah. And like it started with it, honestly, I I mean, I'm not going to place all the blame on Jeff Johns, but Jeff Johns kept trying to write Tim as if he was like, 
one false move away from being Bruce or something. Right. As if that was like a bad thing. And, and, and cause like, it, cause he never had that issue when Chuck Dixon was writing him. There was never this inner conflict of, if I don't watch it, I'm going to end up being cold and emotionless like Bruce is because the point of that character, Tim was that he was the best of Bruce and the best of Dick Grayson. Right. You know, because Dick Grayson, like finally, after all those years of, of, you know, even after post-crisis, post-crisis has he been fired, which is, don't even start out. So that was, but like, you know, the, the conflict that came between him and, and Bruce and, and him like really having a lot of inner conflict of like, you know, why can't I be more like it? Why, how is Bruce able to like let go of his emotions and I, and like, and I have mine. And then finally kind of realizing like how much more well-adjusted he is than the, um, you know, than the nut job that raised him. Um, <laughs> and, and so, and, and Bruce making the decision, Bruce consciously making the decision to take Tim under his wing and then basically say, go learn from Dick Grayson, partially because Dick was Robin. And I also partially think because Dick Grayson is more emotionally stable than I am. And you have that. And if you have that, you're you're a more complete hero or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so Jeff Johns and Dio get a hold of him and – it becomes this like I'm teetering on the edge of darkness thing that is like this recurring theme. And again, I'm trying to remember it. So I have to go back and reread it. But like yeah. I liked Jeff Johns as Teen Titans in some regard. But then there were times where I think he was just basically like, here's all the fanfic I used to write. And this is now it's and now it's canon. And, right, right. and, and then they killed Jack Drake. And I'm just like, are you effing kidding me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if, if there's one, like, of the greatest, the biggest sins ever done to Tim, it's the fact that they killed his father. Because I loved that dynamic. I loved the fact that you had a Robin who had a dad who he had to, like, avoid. You know, just all of the things that he had to do. And all of a sudden, it's like, nope, you know what? We're just going to make him this sad orphan boy just like everybody else. And when Grant Morrison created Damien, they were like, oh, no, wait, this is how they're doing it right. And they kind of, they kind of, like chucked him into the bargain or something and it was just kind of like you know you if you really wanted to you could make this character be something right you know as much as i i love uh jane tinian's you know lonely place of living that i decided i'm gonna make this audio drama (laughs) (laughs) out of you know i i loved it enough to to do that for but in that you know we got to interview james after the drama was over, he said his first introduction was Jeff Johns, Teen Tight. So a big part of that story is older Tim as Batman telling younger Tim, look what I had to become. I never wanted this role. So hearing you say that, that's the one part in the story where if Tim's natural progression goes on, it's like, well, he knew that Batman needed a Robin. And even in A Lonely Place of Living, Tim still knew that Gotham City still needs Batman. He tries to go ask Dick. Well, Dick's moved on. You know, Jason's completely worthless at that point, and Damien almost burns the whole city down. So begrudgingly, Tim becomes Batman, where I would have thought in the Dixon run, that run, that would have been the natural progression for Tim of going, this is just the next step. Because he had the upbringing with Dick and saw where you know, like you said, with Jason still dead, that I think that was a part that would show Tim, I got to play this a little bit straighter or my costume could be next to this costume. So I was with you. There's some things in 
in the Titans where I'm like, this is really good, but there are some missteps and misplaces for Tim. I think the other uh, thing is after Tim loses his dad, he loses Bart and then he loses Connor. Like everybody that means anything to Tim is like, you could follow that train of thought of go, well, okay, I can see why he's depressed now. And I don't think that was anything that needed to be done to any of those characters, but it all, it all impacted Tim so greatly. And they just kind of wrote him down this, you know, teen Titans go as the dark Robin, you know? Yeah. And it's just, it, and, and, and nineties, Tim as Batman would have been really interesting to see because it would probably would have been truly more like, almost like a bronze age or a late silver age type of Batman where he mm-hmm. is just, he's not this obsessive driven prick <laughs> and that, that they would write Bruce as sometimes in that era. And, and again, like it's been years since I read it, so I might be misinterpreting it, but, um, but I just, I always got the feeling that like, you know, as, as Batman is, you know, Dick, Dick took some time to get there. And there was a there was a point I know in Nightfall where where Dick was like, well, why the hell didn't you ask me? And and Bruce was kind of like, you know, you were your own person. Translation: Marv Wolfman wouldn't give Denny O'Neill the character, but <laughs> right. this is my sandbox. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very much like that because um, it I think uh, the four ninety seven and New Titans one hundred happened like very very close to one another. Yeah. Seriously, like he was like you know hey, you're your own person now. I, I shouldn't put that on you. And even though it was like Dick was just kind of like yeah that's total BS, but whatever. <laughs> but even when Dick was being Batman and Prodigal, there was a there was not that sense of like just this obsessive insanity to it. So it would have been a different tone on Batman. Um, and the same thing with Tim, it was like, you know, everybody who, with the exception of Jason, who was like the one huge regret mistake that he's had, Tim became this, like a, like a light in the sense that like, you know, he could take this role over and it was, there was like sort of a soldier carrying on like this, the sense of duty, but not with that sort of, um, you know, obsessive darkness driving him. You know, maybe it could have been a, a Batman Beyond type of scenario, you know, like where where you had the the kid and the, and the older mentor and, and things like that. Yeah. Which would have been interesting to see in like an Elseworlds or or, a, or one of those future future stories we kind of almost got in the detective annual for Armageddon 2001. But they killed Tim off like halfway through that. Right, right. So, well. Speaking of Tim and costumes and all that stuff, this is the 30th anniversary. I'm waving that flag like crazy. Even got a chance to meet Jim Lee two a month ago now, uh, Motor City Comic Con. I got a chance mm-hmm. to sign some hush stuff of you know that he drew Tim in, and I made mention that I said you know everybody's here celebrating Batman's 80th. I said but I think I'm the only guy in the room celebrating Tim Drake's 30th. And he hung his head and was like, oh, I can't believe Tim Drake's 30 years old. So yeah. <laughs> me, me leading into that question, I know you said you're not reading uh, much new stuff, but in the young justice series, in the next issue, that's going to be coming out. Tim Drake is going to get a new code name and a new costume. So my question is, does, does Tim need or deserve to still be Robin? Because currently at the moment you have Damien and Tim both officially being Robins in the Batman universe. Mm. So you have two Superboys, two Robins. 
So they're going to give Tim a new call sign. Does should Tim be able to graduate and become his own his own Nightwing, his own Red Hood, or or whatever? Or does Tim need to retain some Robin identity? He could become his own Nightwing. Just no, don't name him after a freaking burger joint. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just every time I saw the 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 title, it's Red Robin. All I could hear was yum. <laughs> I know. Um, no, I, in fact. I think I would have been a little less annoyed at the presence of Damian Wayne had they not kind of tried to just have him, had they done a better transition with it. But it's like, you know, and Grant was, Morrison comes in and it's all hell Grant Morrison. Oh, yeah, yeah. like, come on. But like Tim could have easily become a night, not like a Nightwing type character. I don't know right. what code name you give him, but, but, uh, but yeah. Um, I so, mean, cause my favorite, my favorite costume is the classic costume. I didn't, the the new the one year later ones seemed very generic to me. I was going to ask you about that. What your thoughts were on that? that it question. was all right. It was just it was just I didn't. I was like, what you do with the green? It was just yeah. very. Yeah. It was it was very very generic. Um, almost like they they kind of simplified it for the sake of like I don't know merchandise or <laughs> right. something. Yeah, because they changed a couple of Titans uniforms after uh, one year later. Uh, I actually liked the Wonder Girl revamp with the jeans and the um i did i do like that one for Catholic, yeah except yeah. except for the shoes i'm like you don't need to have her wearing chunky platform heels <laughs> right how the hell is she gonna fight in that i know she's an amazon but you know have her wear flat sole shoes but but right. i like the jeans and the t-shirt but yeah the the the, the, the tim drake i didn't hate it but i was just kind of like meh you know i really like the classic costume one of my final questions for you is just over the years for Tim Drake, and now we're at 30, <laughs> showing our age. Mm. Uh, what do you think his long-lasting effect is? Do Would we be sitting around in the old folks' home still talking about Tim Drake? And I guess more importantly, the everyone part of the question is, why do you think people end up gravitating towards Tim Drake as the Robin that they, they like? Uh, let's see, uh, a few reasons, um, at least for me, I never really got to know Jason Todd very well beyond his death. The first Jason Todd story that I ever read was a death in the family, Same unless here. you count like his three panels in a crisis on infinite earths, you know? <laughs> right. Or, and, and like the run the man who has everything I be, like, I barely read a lot of Jason Todd. I went back and read quite a bit, but you know, Dick Grayson, had like 50 years or 40 years or 35 years or my math, 35 years, I think it was. 40, shit, Panners, can I do math? 45 <laughs> years. 45 years, I think, of Dick Grayson, roughly, give or take, of him being Robin before he became Nightwing. But even then, the growth of the character didn't start happening until about 20 to 25 years into the his run as Robin because – they finally started aging him in the sixties and then into the seventies. And even then it was like backup stories and things like that. He'd flit in and out of, of the, of the book. Um, you know, he'd have his backup stuff, but like, you know, he'd be in Batman family, but like, you know, there were a lot of Batman solo stuff in the seventies and stuff. And, and then it wasn't until Wolfman and Paris really got a hold of him in the eighties that he matured into Nightwing. But like with Tim, it, it, I think it, it, at least at first it showed a few things. It's like one, there's something he keeps saying over and over in a lonely place of dying. And it's something I will, I will, it is a hill I will die on to anybody who is one of those fans of Batman who, who would say otherwise. It's that Batman needs Robin. Yes. 
And there's a, re- there's a significant reason for that. And we see it in the lonely place of dying and they knew they were going to make him Robin, but lonely place of dying is what? 89, 90. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and he becomes Robin. It takes about a year to a year and a half. Mm-hmm. That's enough time for people for it to happen a little more organically than it did with with the post-crisis Jason. The pre-crisis Jason was basically like, you know, they were kind of laying the groundwork, but, you know, it was almost like here's a Dick Grayson clone that we can kind of slap a Robin costume on. Right. Um, not to disparage Jerry Conway's work, because of what I've read, I've really enjoyed it. It was just, you know, and then but with Max Allen Collins and et cetera, like, you know, it was very abrupt. There was a sense that what they were setting up there was like that he was earning Robin and he eventually earned this title and it happened organically. And then he had these three miniseries and then an ongoing. And like, you could see that like the, the, the thing that, that I don't know um, if, if people remember is that, you know, he had an ongoing that lasted was like a hundred and 183, 183 issues. That's, that is a significant run. That's not like, you know, that's not chump change. That's not like ending, ending a book after like, you know, just a couple of years and like, Oh, Hey, this felt like, you know, like, um, damage or something like that. Right. You know, as much as I enjoyed the damage thing, that damage character in the nineties, that book lasted 20 issues. This was, this lasted almost 20 years. So you have like a character like Robin, who's a teenager, so like, you know, he, he's, he's fulfilling the original destiny of Robin, a character that a reader can identify with too. Like you, you, I was roughly, I may, I may have technically been a, a year or two older than him when his ongoing started. Cause I think he was supposed to be like a freshman in high school. Yeah. I might've been a sophomore or so. And, um, but you could relate to this kid, you know, so you, you could, you could kind of be Robin, so to speak. There was also the fact that his, Stories Robin was so tied to the history of the character. Like you don't have Tim Drake as Robin without Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. Whereas again, I may be talking out of school here with Damien, but it's <laughs> like Damien's Batman's son. And now he's Robin there. there it just didn't have that, that feel to me. Plus he was a little punk, but, right. but, <laughs> but like, but with Tim, it's just like, you know, he, you have great issues with him and Nightwing or that great zero hour issue where like <sighs> yeah. young Dick Grayson shows up and you have a, a fresh new story with a nod to the history of the character, but that's not so steeped in continuity that only the really, really good fans are going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And you had these great stories. So like he lasts because, because it's, he's just been very well taken care of and the concept was very well cultivated. And, um, it's not until like, until somebody who just, I don't know, had this thing against him or thing against that era came along and was like, nope, we're, we're going to do this or like, this is how I think it should be. And kind of like went out of their way to, to, to break him so that he could turn around and say that this doesn't work. Yeah, I'm enjoying the Brian Michael Bendis. It's the first Brian Michael Bendis that I've ever read. So people are saying, "Oh, I don't like this, that, or the other," but getting to read Tim, Connor, Cassie, Bart, and then some new uh, Young Justice characters, and mm-hmm. we're being told that you know we're going to see the we haven't seen the full scope of the Young Justice team. It kind of and they have Connor in his classic '90s costume, Bart in his Impulse costume right now. Like I said, Tim's in his quasi-classic costume with a few little tweaks. And Bendis is always hashtagging the greatest Robin, Tim Drake. So 
I'm at least going somebody gets it yeah. and that it is Bendis. It it makes me hopeful as much as I did like the tiny and run of detective comics. I still felt like he was being held back. Like they quote unquote, kill him off. And he goes to the, the phantom area with uh, Jor-El, AKA Zod spoiler warning or not mm. Zod. Um, Mr. Oz rather. Yeah. To take him off the table for a while, which was like, nope, we don't want you using the Tim Drake character. So at least makes me happy that somebody like Bendis is saying, no, I want to show you why all these characters are good. And I, people are saying, just wait till he Bendis is it. <laughs> so yeah, well, my son's been getting Young Justice. I might have to sit down and, and swipe his issues and read it because he, he seems to really like it. And I, I, there's some of Bendis that I've read that I've enjoyed and some of some that I've just kind of skipped over. So like I read ultimate Spider-Man up until the point that I just kind of got bored. Right. But I liked what I read at first. I, I have actually enjoyed his, uh, his early, early stuff, his image. Uh, that wasn't even image. It was like caliber Oni or something. Oh, okay. Um, torso and jinx and goldfish, even though jinx and goldfish don't hold up as well as I thought they would. They, they almost come off as like Bendis trying to write a Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> I don't even know if it was Tarantino. It's just, it's very, it's very of its time, but torso is really, really good. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I but I understand like where like something's going to go sideways. Cause like I, I did drop the Superman books after a little while because starting to inch a little bit towards some of the big events that DC's got going on. And I'm like, you know, I'm not enough into the DCU right now to really care about event Leviathan or heroes in crisis or whatever right. else is going on. So I just kind of let it go. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I might go back and read that. And, and cause if, if it sounds like it's at least getting you hopeful before they pull the rug out, from under you, <laughs> I know it, it might be worth, it might be worth the read since they're already in the house. Uh, but yeah, it was just, again, like it just, it, I didn't realize I would like, how um, annoyed I would get at the fact that thinking about like, you know, where they turn this character, not like they didn't ruin him, but it was sort of a thing where you have a contingent of, of people who like Batman, who, who believe Batman should be, I think the phrase is Gothic loner or something. (laughs) And it's like, he has the largest family in the DC universe. Yeah. He has the largest family in the DC universe. And he's had a significant portion of his history where he wasn't like, loner on the edge and those stories are actually good mm-hmm. and so that's my frustration it's just like you know i i've always been of the, of the idea that like you know you can there are so many different versions of that particular character and you can like more than one of them <laughs> right <laughs> you know and you cannot like some of them it's okay you know but there's no like i don't think there's a definitive batman and and but with robin i i like the fact that you go through these different types of of robins but you but there was a there's a through line of a history of the characters so i think it's it's um with tim and you know like the the way tim has always related to dick for instance and and how and and the way his uh, him trying to to let go of the ghost of jason Mm -hmm. i thought that was like really important it was it it was absolutely great character development in 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 those serial storytelling way that you don't often get from these these comics well tom i've really enjoyed 
uh, this discussion and, and hearing why you love the Drake and the different ways that we have to complete our discussion over yes. the course of this recording. So uh, if you hear some edits in here, folks, you'll understand why. But now that we've heard what why you love the Drake, uh, why don't you tell everybody uh, some of the shows that you've got so they can find something new to love? I have three shows over on the two true freaks network, which you can find at two true Um, one is called required reading with Tom and Stella or Stella. And I, uh, don't talk about Batman or Batgirl or Robin or anything. We actually talk about literature. We take a work of literature what? each. Month. And yeah, I know <laughs> we talk about literature. We, we each read a book and we, we do like a book club type of thing with it where we summarize and then criticize and discuss and review it. And then to my other podcasts, one is in country. I am taking an issue by issue. Look at the nom Marvel comics series about the Vietnam war from the eighties and nineties. I have about as of this recording, I have, Eight and a wake up left, or seven and a wake up left, with me, which means I got about like eight or eight issues, or eight episodes or so left in that run because I'm wow. closing out on my final episode of number 100 and the final issue of the series. It's been a real, just great, great series to do. And then my other, my main podcast, the one that is just going to run in perpetuity, is Pop Culture Affidavit. That is everything random in popular culture. So I will cover comics and movies and music and, and TV and stuff. I also have a blog associated with that called popcultureaffidavit.com. And that is where I will write essays and things, blog posts that are not just podcast episodes uh, about those things. If you want to hear me talk about the Titans on that, um, I did a very long series of blog posts mm-hmm. called my life as a teen Titan back in the, maybe about six or seven years ago. And then late last year, I think in like, I don't remember the episode numbers, like episode like 94 or 95 of Pop Culture Affidavit is me doing the first few issues featuring Terra. It was like New Teen Titans, like 28 through about like 31 or something like that. And it was me doing it in a way that was like all of these. God, it took forever to produce because I dropped all these musical clips and things like that <laughs> into it, mainly because like the Titans show had premiered and I don't I don't watch Titans because I just was not interested at all. But I talked about like, you know, this is like one of my favorite Titans runs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, Titans should not be this dark like thing that they've got going on the DC Universe app. Right. It should essentially be the show Glow, but with <laughs> superheroes. Yeah. It, it, like, it's just, it shouldn't be Stranger Things, it should be Glow. And, and, yeah. and I'm like, you know, so that was kind of my, my point there. I was like, you know, here, I'm going to drop like a Pat, the, the umpteenth Pat Benatar drop into the middle of the episode. I had a lot of fun putting it together, but it also showed you why I don't have a Titans podcast, because it was, it took me forever to put together. Like, <laughs> but yeah, so popcultureaffidavit.com, and you can find me on Twitter at popaff, that's P O P A F F. And hearing some of that stuff, Tom, I'd be lying if I said, oh, just do a Titans podcast. It would be so glorious to listen to, but it would be a recording nightmare yeah, on your end. And I don't care. Yeah, no, I don't know. Maybe one day, but time is the only obstacle on that. Right. It's just, it's just, it's an investment that I don't, I can't make it. <laughs> a guy over here in Ohio can just dream one day. Tom will, Tom will roll this out. I guess I'll have to keep re-listening to his old one and just dream. It's like the you did your pilot episode, and yeah. then they would just, CBS said, ah, we're just not going to pick it up. And you're like, well, that was a waste of time. No, was not a waste of time. Go check out that episode, folks. Series of episodes. It's some of my favorite that you've done. 
Well, I appreciate you taking the time today, Tom, to talk about why you love the Drake. And on the behalf of Tom Paneris, this is Rob Myers signing off saying you've been listening to the BatmanUniverse.net. And more importantly, you've been listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media, also over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. Dancing, you know.